Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, uh, we're going to begin. As you're making your way back to your seats, uh, got a special treat here this morning for you because uh, John Reyes is going to be bringing the word. And uh, I know you who are a part of our church on a regular basis know John and his wife Kim. But I, I just want to let you know, I, I was talking with John this week, um, and him and I were just uh, j- just – you know, talking and fellowshipping and conversing about different matters, um, one of our elders meetings. And at one point I just, I, I, I really did. I started, I broke down and started crying. I guess that's no surprise, but I, I was just, I was just really overwhelmed with a sense of, uh, thankfulness in my heart, uh, for this man and, uh, the gift he is from God to our church. And I, I know you all feel that and know that as well, but um, you don't always get to say things like this, and time just moves so fast, and I I guess that's all I wanted to say, is just we, we're very blessed, aren't we, just to have uh, John Reyes in our lives, and um, he's a gift, and I'm so excited to hear the word uh, from him this morning. So John and Kim and your family, uh, thank you for the many blessings you bestow uh, upon us as a church family with all of your love for Jesus. And uh, we thank God for you. Uh, can we thank God for these guys? Come on up, buddy. Oh, man. I wasn't expecting that. Um, it has been a complete honor and a joy to serve with UCB and to serve Christ community for these past few years. And uh, <clears throat> thank you so much for being such a loving people to my wife, my kids, and I. We really are blessed by you. But we're continuing our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. Something's different up here. <laughs> Why do they do this to me? I mean, you guys know I'm not a very tall man. <laughs> Anyway, I hope that you've been really blessed by this series and have learned a lot. I know I have. Um, So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 4. At least we see eye to eye now. It's nice. (laughs) The title of my message this morning is, Our God Does Great Things. Our God Does Great Things. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Beginning in verse 1, Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is it that is in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it to the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not even believe those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord kindled against Moses. And he said, 
Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your staff, in your hand, this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is with great joy that we can gather here today together as believers. You are our God. You are the God of Abraham. You are the God of Isaac and you are the God of Jacob, the God of Peter and of Paul, the creator of all things, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Would you teach us today? Would you be gracious to us this morning and illuminate our hearts and minds as we read your word this morning? And Lord, may we glorify you as we read about how great you are and how awesome your deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our God does great things, and indeed he does. Amen? The first point is that God converts. God converts. In verse 1 we read, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Now, what is interesting here, but not uncommon for God's people, is that God had just told Moses in the previous chapter of Exodus that the elders would believe him. We see this in chapter 3, verse 18, that the elders would believe what Moses had to say. Moses feels that simply dropping God's name would not be enough to convince the Hebrew people. And what's interesting also is Moses isn't concerned about what Pharaoh thinks, about Pharaoh listening or recognizing Moses' authority, but whether the Hebrew people would. He, like many of us, lacks the trust and the confidence to believe God's words. He says, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. So he's struggling to understand something very important. God does the converting. God does the converting. It is God who makes people believe the message. This is something I think that many of us Christians struggle with. A lot of times we think that evangelism is about results. The American version of evangelism has become very unbiblical. For many years, even if I could say for a century or so, we've been taught in our churches, in our Christian colleges, to manipulate and coerce people into making confessions of faith because we're about the numbers. Yet evangelism isn't simply seeing people converted. True evangelism can take place thousands of times without a single convert. Acts 13, 44 through 47 is a perfect example of this. It says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul, what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul was proclaiming the gospel, yet the Jews thrust it aside. So I think it's confusing evangelism with results will eventually lead to frustration and disillusionment. So if you go out there and you're evangelizing and no one's getting saved, it's okay. Are you preaching the word of God? Are you preaching the gospel? It's not about numbers. It's about faithfulness. Remember that. It's about faithfulness. I think that 
we should start using the Bible as our guide for evangelism. Let's remember that it is God who is the one that does the converting. Only he can convert hearts. All we have to do is trust God. Go and deliver the mail. And that is exactly what Moses' job was. To trust God, deliver the mail, and watch God convert the people to God's size as they listen to him. Amen? So don't get discouraged when you go out there to the world and you preach the gospel. And if they don't listen, it's okay. Were you faithful to proclaim the gospel? Let's look in verses 2 through 5. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a stiff, a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Look how God responds to Moses here. Here we see God being very gracious to Moses. And in his kindness, he provides three signs of his power. The first sign symbolizes God's power over creation. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so Moses is instructed to take this staff and throw it on the ground. Now, there's nothing extraordinary about this staff. It's just a staff. But isn't that how God works? He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's, it's, it's like the cross. The cross was just wood. There was nothing mystical about the wooden cross. What happened on the cross was supernatural, was extraordinary. It was an ordinary object, but what took place on the cross? The cross was extraordinary. And so... We look at verse 5 and he says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God tells Moses to grab this serpent by the tail. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if I would have wanted to do that. And I don't know too many people who will grab poisonous snakes by the tail. I don't even want to get into those snake handlers on Sunday mornings that do that kind of stuff. I, I know the word says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. But I would greatly encourage you not to mess with snakes, or poisonous snakes at least. Can you imagine if they just got out, and you're out of their aquarium or whatever they have that they are in, in your house, and you don't know where they are? <laughs> no, not me. That's no, and it says Moses ran away. <laughs> I would have run away too. Anyway, but if you study ancient Egyptian history, you'll find that the cobra represented the national god in lower Egypt and was also a sign of Egyptian royal authority. And throughout Egypt, there were pictures of snakes on walls. Even Pharaoh had a, a cobra headpiece. And God is teaching Moses here about divine authority. That God has authority over creation. But not only does he have authority over creation, he has authority over evil. I think what God was showing was his great authority over evil and the devil himself. You know, one of the greatest themes in the Bible is the idea of slavery. The idea that someone is trapped, held hostage, captive. Israel was trapped. She was enslaved by Pharaoh. 
And God rose up a deliverer to set her free. Someone greater than Moses has come. You see, the story of deliverance from captivity by Moses is really meant to point us to Jesus. As Israel was enslaved in Egypt, we were enslaved to sin and death. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin had its hold on us. It enslaved us. As the Israelites were held captive by Pharaoh, we were held captive by Satan. The Bible says in 1 John 3.10 that we without Christ were children of the devil. As Moses fulfilled his God-given commission and led Israel out of the house of bondage, Jesus obeyed the Father, humbled himself by becoming a servant to man. He didn't come with a scepter, but as a servant. He came to this earth and overcame the devil on the cross. He perfectly fulfilled what he came to do. He crushed the serpent's head, delivering us, brothers and sisters, from spiritual slavery. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When Christ died for our sins, Satan was disarmed and defeated. Satan's destruction weapon called accusation was stripped from his hands. The great and wicked accuser of the brethren could no longer accuse us before God of being guilty and condemned. When Christ died, that accusation was made null and void. All those who entrust themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ are no longer guilty. We will not perish. If you have forsaken and renounced your sin, Satan cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ. I hope you're encouraged by that, Berks County people. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I'm encouraged by that. I need that every day to know That though Satan accuses me and tries to condemn me, though my heart tries to condemn me, I stand clean before an almighty God. I have been forgiven. And so have you. It gives us great reason to rejoice today. Verses 6 and 7, we see the second sign. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. This sign demonstrates that God has the power over sickness, disease, and death. It was God who inflicted Moses with this disease. And it was God who took this disease away. This is hard to understand. I know all of us here have experienced being sick or know someone who is or who has been afflicted with illness. These types of trials are very hard. And we sometimes question why. Why is this happening? We live in a fallen world. The cosmic treachery committed by Adam in the garden turned everything upside down. Creation's order became chaotic. But we must understand that God is sovereign over sickness. And in and through sickness, we know one thing for sure. He wants to be glorified. 
Right now, one of my dearest friends in Waco, Texas, is going under incredible trial. Thirteen years ago, he lost his beloved bride to cancer. They had ten children. The youngest was only a year. When she passed away, when she went home to be with Jesus. And they have a little boy at that time. He was still in diapers. I remember seeing him. His name was Jeremiah. His name is Jeremiah. He's 17 now. And two weeks ago, he was diagnosed with cancer. And it's spreading so fast that they're only giving him 10% chance to live. Healthy kid. Strong football player. The tumors are just attaching themselves to his spine, to his ribs, and now there's lesions on his lungs. And my friend Rusty, his dad, just wrote and said, In my limited understanding of the fullness of the mind of Christ, it seems it has come down to to this. Either God loves our son so much he is taking him to be with him soon. Or God is desiring to be so glorified that he is creating the worst possible scenario to heal my son and to use him powerfully on this earth. Either way, God is in control and he wants the glory. If you remember, please pray for Rusty and his son Jeremiah and the whole family during this time. But this was God's intent when he made Moses' hand diseased. He was displaying his awesome power and authority over sickness and disease. Rusty and his family have taken over the chapel and the hospital. And day and night they're holding vigil. And they're having worship services. And nurses and doctors are hearing the gospel inside of that hospital. God is being glorified in and through this sickness. And God can be glorified and show, and is showing Moses here that God will be glorified in healing diseases and in not healing diseases. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. And one more thing. We're a sin-sick people. Filled with Spiritual leprosy. But Jesus came to heal us of our spiritual leprosy. Verses 8 and 9. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, You shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. So here we see the third sign. Moses was to take water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. This sign was pointing ahead to the plagues that were to come to Egypt. Blood is a symbol of life and death. And in this case, life for the Hebrew slaves and death for the Egyptian captors. God's turning the water into blood symbolizes God's power over the elements, his power over the Egyptian gods and its leaders, for he alone has the authority to destroy kingdoms and kings. The blood that was spilled on the cross is life-giving to those who are born again. And it put an end, it put to death, Satan's hold, his tyranny, his oppression over us. What sign do we have today? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 40, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Our sign today 
is the empty tomb. The empty tomb is our sign. The empty tomb is the sign that Christianity is the real deal. Christianity is true. God's word is true. That book that you have in your hand is true. Jesus has risen from the dead just like he said he would. In perfect obedience, he accomplished his earthly mission. Rejoice. We serve a God of hope. Who has given us hope. That one day he will take us back. And we will be with him in heaven. Or he might take us beforehand. If he doesn't come back. And that's okay too. May we embrace that with joy. Either way, it's win-win for the believer. I, uh, in Dallas, Texas, a guy took a, took a gun to my head out in front of an abortion clinic. He was bringing his girlfriend in for an abortion, and I was try- I was pleading with him, and he took a gun, he put it right to my forehead. He said, I'll kill you if you keep talking to us. And I just remember saying, you know, that's okay. You shoot me, you're in a lose-lose situation. You shoot me, I'm in a win-win situation. Either if you don't shoot me, I'll live to proclaim the gospel. But if you shoot me and I die, I'll be with Jesus. But if you shoot me, you'll go to prison. And in Texas, there's a high, you know, there's the death penalty. And you'll die and go to hell. So you lose. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to lose. Will you please just repent? And he just put his gun down and he listened to what I had to say. But still, we have to trust God. As Christians, life or death, we lose. I mean, we win. Sorry. We win. Forgive me. Edit that on the tape. As Christians, we win. Win Win-win. They can kill the body. They can't touch the spirit. Point number two, God communicates. Verses 10 through 12. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, we do not know what Moses' speaking problem was here. Some say it could have been psychological. Maybe he was afraid of speaking publicly or was shy. Our fear should not paralyze us, but cause us to feel desperate for God's help. I I was never one who liked public speaking. Even to this day, I have to to go to God and plead for his help every time I get up here. The anxiety that I'm tempted with while preparing for sermons, or for announcements. The anxiety that I'm tempted with during the time of singing before I have to get up here to preach. The anxiety that I'm tempted with during that short five-minute break before I have to get up here. It's rough. But these temptations are not meant to paralyze me. Although they are, but God wants me to feel desperate for his help. I'm not an eloquent speaker. And on the flip side of that, our confidence should not be in our abilities, but in God, right? Paul said, Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. I think what is clear is that Moses did not think of himself as the best of speakers. He felt insufficient to perform the task by himself. He's insisting that he's not an eloquent speaker here. And you know, it's interesting, the Corinthian church didn't think that Paul was such a great speaker either. Paul had to come to the Corinthians in weakness, depending on God's power. CB and I have to come before you on Sunday mornings in weakness, depending on God's power. 
Think about the incarnation of Christ. Jesus was physically weak as a baby. He could not feed himself. He could not change himself. He could not communicate like adults do. He had to depend on the father to take care of him. And his father used weak, sinful people as a means to do it. The same with us. In our parenting, we are weak and have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. In our marriages, we are weak and have to depend on the power of God. In our day-to-day lives, we are weak and have to depend on God's power. When it comes to evangelizing, we have to proclaim Christ in weakness and and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God who does the proclaiming through us. God's power is manifested through our weakness. Verses 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? This is important. Something you probably should underline in your Bible. Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Whatever the problem was with Moses, it was not enough to deflect God from his plan of action. Just a side note. Disabilities should be celebrated. Not looked down upon. Not frowned upon. People with disabilities should not be looked at as less than human. Because God created them that way. For his glory. So God, what he does here is he confronts Moses on his irreverence and his irrelevancy. God, Moses' speech issue is not an issue for God. When it comes to the irreverence of it all, God responds to Moses and says, wait a minute, who made man's mouth? Who made him mute? Who made him deaf or blind or being able to see? Is it not I, the Lord? God is informing Moses that he was created for a purpose. He knew Moses perceived weakness, and yet it is because of those weaknesses that God wants to use him. God wants the glory. And God also addresses the irrelevance here. God says, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God, like I said earlier, is looking for Moses to be a faithful mailman. His inability to speak was irrelevant to God. It didn't matter to God. He's not looking for Moses to have this great vocabulary or this eloquent fluidity in speech. And and that's how he is with us. He's not looking for people to make fine speeches. He's just looking for faithful people to deliver the good news. You know, Much of our problem is much like Moses' problem. I, but I, I, I. And God is saying, it's not about you. It's about me. The great I am. I am with your mouth. It's about the great I am making the gospel known. It's about not worrying about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. For the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. I read that somewhere. 
I'm preaching to myself, to be honest. It's about glorifying God with your abilities and with your disabilities. It is God who will communicate to his people who are enslaved by Egypt. It is God who will display his might precisely by working through weak and ordinary means. It is God who will bring the gospel to the lost. It is God who communicates his gospel to the unbeliever through weak and ordinary people like you and like me. It's all about God. He does great things. Point number three. God commits. Verses 13 through 17. But let's look at verses 13 and 14 first. He said, Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Mm. This is a lot to chew on here. First of all, God always fulfills his purposes. He is committed to be sure that his will in all things is accomplished. Even when Moses tried to get God to give the responsibility to someone else, even when Moses pretty much said, here I am, send someone else. God was prepared to cripple Egypt and he was going to do it through Moses. And God wasn't surprised by Moses' excuse, but he wasn't happy with it either. The scripture states that God's anger burned against Moses. Something to ponder and to chew on, guys. When you start thinking, hmm, but I just can't go out there and tell people about Jesus. Just think about what his response to Moses was. God had a right to be angry. He was patient. And he listened to all of Moses' questions and had dwelt, dealt with all of his objections. But when Moses refused to obey him, which was not glorifying to God, it was right and good for God to be angry. And you know what's really awesome though? We see God's grace in this as well. It's evident. He sends Aaron to Moses. That's the grace of God. He just didn't write Moses off, say, forget you, I'm just going to use Aaron. He sends Aaron to Moses. And Aaron was to be an encouragement to Moses and to speak for him. Verses 15 through 17. Well, before I get there, let me just say, it's good to go out there with someone else. You know, Jesus sent them out by twos. Maybe when, that's part of the reason. Maybe someone's like, I'm just not an eloquent proclaimer of the gospel. Well, maybe the other person is. And so go together. And one proclaims, the other prays, and stands there and just does intercession, right? Amen? Just go. Verses 15 through 17. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your staff, this, in your hand, this staff, with which you shall do the signs. So God will ordain Aaron to serve as, as Moses' spokesman here. Moses will be the mediator of the message, but Aaron is the one who will relay the message as he receives it from Moses, will be, as it were, God to him. Their partnership helped them communicate effectively 
Then God reminds Moses to take his staff with him. Important. The staff is the ultimate immediate reassurance of God's presence with Moses as he enters upon the challenging task to which he was called. The staff will be used to humble the mighty world power of Egypt. This symbol of God's divine authority, supremacy, and presence would be used to cause the water of the sea to part and allow Moses to shepherd his people through to the other side. Don't forget the staff. Kind of God to remind Moses not to forget the staff. He needed the staff. Just like we need the cross. Every day. There's nothing magical or mystical about the cross. Just like there was nothing mystical about the staff. It was just wood. But we go to the cross every day. And we remember what Jesus did for us on that day. What supernatural event took place on that cross. Where he who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Devin, if you and the team can come up. God converted the Israelites' hearts and minds when they listened to Moses and they followed Moses out of Egypt. God communicated through Moses to the Israelites what his plan for them was and he communicated through Moses the warning to Pharaoh. God was committed to set his people free from bondage and slavery. And just as God converted, communicated, and committed himself to fulfilling his purposes back then, he does the same today. He converts us in salvation by giving us ears to hear and eyes to see. He communicates the gospel to us through weak and flawed believers and uses us, weak and flawed children, to communicate the gospel to others. And he is committed to seeing the gospel proclaimed throughout the world, all for his glory and his renown. And just as Moses descended from Mount Horeb to go to the enslaved people of Egypt to set them free, Jesus, even more importantly, and with perfect obedience, descended from his heavenly dwelling to a world enslaved and corrupted by sin and the devil, and he proclaimed freedom for us. He told us to listen to him, because whenever we listen to him, we will hear the voice of God. Fully committed to the mission of the Trinity, the God-man humbled himself and said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And he willfully went to the cross, the perfect sacrifice for sin, freeing his elect from the tyranny of sin and the devil. He didn't say, send someone else. There was no one else to send. No one else could go. Because all of creation has been affected and tainted by sin. There was only one who could go. Only one who could descend into this corrupt and vile world. To set captives free. He and he alone could make perfect atonement for our sins. What a God. What a Savior. Let's worship him. Would you stand? He is mighty. He's done great works. He saved us. That in itself is the greatest thing that could have ever happened to us. He saved us. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. Would you please fill us, Holy Spirit? 
fill us to overflowing. Fill us all. Church, when John was uh, preaching, uh, the Holy Spirit really quickened a burden. When John was preaching on the the section where God told Moses to to stick his hand in the cloak and he brought the hand out and it was leprous and then told Moses to put his hand back in the cloak and when he pulled his hand back out it was completely restored and and John so well illustrated from that just the, the sovereignty of God over our bodies over sickness over disease um, over oppression with the staff the oppression of Satan the accusation coming from the accuser of the brethren he has disarmed that power from Satan because he died for you on the cross and the word oppression just just stuck with me throughout just I believe there's some here today who just mentally, spiritually, emotionally, life, you are so overwhelmed with, at times, spiritual attack, mental oppression, emotional, overwhelming circumstances that you just even sometimes wonder, God, I don't know how much more of this I can take, and well, God's, God's there, brother. God's there, sister, to sustain you and me. He's going to help us. But I believe the Lord just moves in special moments of time to just come and comfort and to touch and deliver. And we want to pray. We want to pray together as a congregation that the Lord would just heal you and touch you and your body and, and, and deliver and quicken fresh faith and hope and restore your mind, restore your body. Restore your soul. And so I, I'd like to ask you, it's such a broad thing, but if you're just feeling that degree of oppression, it could be anything. And there's always people who can suffer more, greater diseases and greater oppressions. And so I, I don't want you to be shy about this. You just feel oppressed and you can't even put your finger on it quite, but just you, you're just feeling overwhelmed mentally, spiritually, emotionally stressed. There's just a lot going on. And you just feel desperate for God. You need Him. You need Him to touch you right now. And you just would like to reach out to God and say, God, I need you. And I need my brothers and sisters uh, to pray for me. If that's you, I, I don't want you to be ashamed of this in any way. Uh, we're all in this battle together. But would you lift your hand up high and give us an opportunity to, to pray for you? Lift it real high so we can all see. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, if you could just look around, uh, friends, and... Let's gather around our brothers and sisters, our church family, and let's just lay hands on them. If you could keep your hands up, this is not to embarrass you in any way. We just want to lay hands upon you and, and pray for the Holy Spirit to touch you and to heal you. Thank you so much, brothers. Thank you, sisters. We love you so much. Your church family loves you, and we just we want to pray and ask for God to come and, and, and touch you. As as we all lay hands on them, let's let's pray in agreement and ask for God to move. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the God of the universe. You are sovereign, Lord. Who made man's mouth? Is it not you, the Lord? You are sovereign over this circumstance. You're sovereign over this very, very hard and oppressive situation in our brother's life, in our sister's life. And we thank you so much, God, that you are in control. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would minister peace into their heart and their mind and their body right now in the name of Jesus. You would comfort them, Holy Spirit. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And Lord, we pray, would you move in power, Holy Spirit. Move in power and come and touch their bodies, touch their minds, even right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as you you touch them, as we lay hands on them right now, Lord, Touch their bodies, Lord, and let let them be restored, Lord God, in their mind, restored in their body, Lord, restored in their spirit, Lord, that that the fresh joy of salvation would come upon them in ways that maybe even it hasn't for years. And Lord, you would deliver them out from underneath of the uh, the oppressive 
accusations of the evil one who just doesn't seem to quit. And Lord, drive him far from our sister. Drive him far from our brother right now in the name of Jesus. And bring comfort and peace and wholeness and well-being into their heart and their mind. And Lord, please, with those who are suffering ailments and sickness right now, some who are fearing even sickness and even greater disease and Lord God, that some fearing for their lives right now, we pray, Almighty God, touch them in the name of Jesus and deliver them, Lord God. Bring healing to their body. Glorify your name and show your power in our midst. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can call upon your power and know, Lord God, that even though we trust you, and Lord, if you ordain for things to remain in our lives for long seasons, you're good in that. But you are a God who delivers in an instant. You are a God who moves in power in moments of time. And we thank you so much that you are that kind of God who forgives sins and heals diseases. And, oh, Lord, we ask that you would touch our entire church family and deliver us all out from underneath of oppression from the evil one, satanic attack and discouragements that come and our battles not against flesh and blood. Lord, come and bring and protect us as a congregation. Come and lift off oppression that we might rise up and be your people in peace and in power. Oh, Lord, we pray for minds and bodies and spirits to just be refreshed and renewed and restored. Even right now, as we pray in closing as a church, we love you. And we thank you for our brothers and sisters all around. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for our family. Like Lewis said earlier, we love one another. And we carry each other on our hearts. Bless, Lord, bless. Bless every one of us as we head out the door today. And we thank you so much, Lord God. That even though we still live in the midst of this fallen world, you have healed us by your wounds. We have been healed. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. You're everything to us as individuals. You're everything to us as a church. And we just thank you for how great and how awesome you are, how great and awesome our God is. Oh, shine your light and let the whole world see the glory of our risen King. Dev, can we go back into that just one more time? Let church let us sing. Shine the light and let the whole world see. And church, let us sing our hearts out for this awesome, great God as we close.